As Lori mentioned earlier, this Sunday we are celebrating Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. Uh, we put a lot of energy into things like Christmas and Easter. Uh, Pentecost is something we kind of overlook, just kind of glide by. But Pentecost was a pivotal moment in the life of the church. Uh, Jesus said in Acts chapter one, uh, that the disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit came. And that is absolutely true. We receive power through the Holy Spirit. But something else also happened on Pentecost. Something that we often either miss or forget about or we don't think it's that big of a deal, but it's something that strikes to the core of who we are as followers of Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter two. Um, in this passage, it talks about an event, this event of the Holy Spirit coming, and it happens in a house. And there's debate over what this house was. I am personally convinced, uh, and just gonna ask you to trust me at least just for this next hour, that when it refers to the house, it's referring to the temple in Jerusalem. And just three quick reasons of why I would say that. Um, first of all, the temple in Jerusalem is often referred to as the house of the Lord. Uh, the passage that we're about to read doesn't say whose house it is. It simply says the whole house. Well, if you're going to say the house without saying what house you're talking about, and it's a house in Jerusalem, the first thing you would think of is, oh, the temple. Um, second, Pentecost, the day when this happened, uh, was a major Jewish festival. And where do faithful Jewish people go to celebrate feasts and festivals in Jerusalem? They go to the temple. Um, third, the passage is going to mention that there were God-fearing Jews from every nation coming together. Now look, the only house where you're going to have a crowd of Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem on the Pentecost is going to be the temple. And so as we read this, I'm just going to ask you to envision that this is happening at the temple. Uh, we've asked uh, Carol Hill to read the scripture for this morning. So Carol, if you can make your way on up. And as she does, I'm going to ask you to please stand if you are able. If you are in your homes watching on uh, Facebook or YouTube, I'm going to ask you to sta stand as well. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And Carol, whenever you're ready, please read from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Carol, thank you very much. You may be seated. Um, have you ever met anybody famous? Ever bump into someone famous? Uh, it's interesting how we respond, even just seeing someone famous. Back in uh, 2004, 
when we had just moved here to Twin Falls, we'd been here for about a year, um, my wife was driving and she was waiting at the pole line Blue Lakes intersection at that stoplight there. And um, she noticed this motorcade was heading north on Blue Lakes. And as she's, and that's kind of strange, and she's watching this motorcade drive by the intersection. And as she's watching it, she notices that in one of the cars is John Kerry. Um, it was during his presidential run against George W. Bush back in 2004. And here, there goes John Kerry driving by on Blue Lakes. Uh, his, uh, he was taking a break from the campaign and his wife had a place up in Sun Valley. And so they landed, they flew into Twin Falls and drove up to Sun Valley. I wasn't even there. And I just thought that was one of the coolest things uh, ever. I've told that story a dozen, dozens of times to people. John Kerry here in Twin Falls. Have you ever met someone famous? Uh, if you're in the discussion on Facebook, go ahead and just type in if you've ever met someone famous and who that was. But I often hear stories of people seeing famous people here in Twin, whether it's Bruce Willis or Oprah. Um, there was one TFRC staff member who got a picture with Phil Jackson at Jakers here in town. Phil Jackson, the coach of Michael Jordan on the, and won six championships with the Bulls. And then he also coached Kobe Bryant with the Lakers, won five championships with them. That Phil Jackson, one of our TFRC staff members, got his picture with here in Twin Falls at Jakers. Thought that was pretty cool. Um, I once got Buck Showalter's autograph. You probably have no idea. Anyone know who Buck Showalter is? Just raise your hand. I got one, two. Yeah, there's like seven of you. He's that famous. Okay, uh, but Buck Showalter, uh, he's a major league baseball manager. He also has been a sports commentator on ESPN. Um, and you know, the closer we get to someone famous, the weirder we get, right? <laughs> okay, so I saw Buck Showalter was at this baseball game and I had a baseball and I wanted him to sign it. And so I go up to Buck Showalter to get his autograph I, I couldn't even form a complete sentence. I couldn't even talk. Uh, before I even got my question to him, hey, would you sign this baseball? I couldn't even say that. He had already said sure and had signed the ball and had given it back to me. And I was so excited as I was walking away, I didn't notice that I smudged his autograph on my baseball. So, uh, but to this day, I still have Buck Showalter's smudged autograph baseball. I still have that. Um, there's something about the presence of famous people that changes us. From a distance, we're like, oh, how cool is that? Look at that. But if they get too close, we don't know how to act sometimes. You know, it's cool and nerve-wracking all at the same time. Well, God very much wants to be present with us. He wants to be near us. And for many of us, we have had times when God has made his presence known to us. Maybe it's during a moment of worship or maybe it's during a time of prayer, or maybe it's an answered prayer, or some set of circumstances happens, and either in the moment or later, as you think about it, you realize, holy cow, God was present in that. God showed up in my life. The Bible has all sorts of accounts of God coming near to people. And I just want to point out a couple because they will have a direct impact on how we understand the story of Pentecost that we just read. Um, one of the best known moments of God appearing is on Mount Sinai. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 20, God's presence on Mount Sinai. 
The Israelites have been slaves in Egypt and God sends the 10 plagues, blood and frogs and gnats and flies, dead livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the death of the firstborn. And the Pharaoh decides to let the Israelites go. And then after they leave, he changes their mind and chases them down with his army. And the Israelites are on the shore of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are closing in. And then God, in this mighty act of power, parts the Red Sea. And the Israelites walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And the Egyptian army follows, but after the Israelites make it to the other side, God then closes the waters on the Egyptians, defeating the greatest superpower on the planet. And the Israelites are now free. And God, who has demonstrated all of these signs and all of these wonders and all this power, leveled the greatest army in the world. God says, hey, come to Mount Sinai and meet me there. Now up to this point, they had seen God in action, but now that same God says, come and meet with me. Now I'm sure the Israelites, at least if I was one of them, I would be both excited and afraid and nervous all at the same time. This God wants to meet with us. And so God descends on the top of the mountain. And if you look on the picture, he comes in smoke and fire. And he meets with Moses on the top of the mountain as the people wait at the bottom of the mountain. And up to that point, it's the closest they've ever been to God's presence. Um, later in Exodus, God tells the people to build me a tabernacle because God wants to get closer to them. And so he gives them instructions about how they are to set up camp as they travel in the desert. And each tribe is assigned a certain place in the camp. And God wants to be in the camp with them. God asks them to make a dwelling place for them. And you can see on the pictures, uh, that picture on the left is the camp. And you'll notice that the tabernacle is in the middle of the camp. God wants to be in the middle of his people. And he comes by a cloud by day. And then if you look at the picture on the right, he comes by fire, those same two forms, cloud and fire. And so they make God a tabernacle, this portable temple, if you will, a place to allow them to encounter God's presence. And so as they are wandering in the desert, God is literally in the middle of them, leading them as a cloud by day and a fire at night. And so God first came to them on Mount Sinai, but now God comes even closer to his people. And he gives them an order of how they are supposed to set up their camp, and he wants to be in the middle. And on the mountain, like on the mountain, he comes as cloud and fire. And now up to this point, it's the closest they have ever been to God's presence. And then eventually the Israelites settle in the land of Israel and God wants them to build a temple. And so God's presence is now going to be in this temple and they have King, there's King Saul and King David and King Solomon and God wants a more permanent place among his people. And so in the city of Jerusalem, King Solomon 
builds the temple. And when the temple is finished, it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, it says, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. God first comes to Sinai. Then he comes to the tabernacle in the middle of the people. Now God wants a more permanent place to be with his people. And there are three festivals that all the Israelites are to come to the temple for. Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Booths. Three times a year they come to encounter God's presence in a way they can't anywhere else. God is everywhere, yes, and the world cannot contain him, yes, but the temple is the place where God manifests himself in a special way. The temple is a place that God manifested himself in a special way. And then everything changes when Jesus comes because now God's presence is not in a building, it's not on a mountain, it's in Jesus. Jesus brings God's presence in a whole new way. God becomes flesh and walks among his people. It says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And jumping down to verse 14 of that chapter, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus is God bringing his presence to us as one of us. And the body of Christ is the temple God lives in. The body of Christ is the temple God lives in. And Jesus actually brings this up. In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, Jesus tells the people, he says, destroy this temple. He's in the temple area, and he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And the people replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body, the passage says. This story, it takes place in the temple area. And Jesus says, destroy this temple. And he's talking about himself. Jesus, the living embodiment of God. In the Old Testament, when God comes, he comes as cloud and sometimes fire. And it's interesting, there's a story about Jesus. You can read it in Matthew 17, you can read it in Mark 9, you can read it in Luke 9. It's the same story, it's called the transfiguration. Jesus takes three of his disciples up onto a mountain and his appearance changes. He's transfigured. He becomes bright like the sun, like lightning. It's almost as if it's a fire image. And then a cloud descends upon them and a voice from the cloud says, this is my son, listen to him. You have this fire image, you have this cloud image. And it all happens on a mountain. It's the presence of God. Jesus is the temple that God lives in. 
And the Gospel of John says that they had seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. It is the closest that they had ever been to the presence of God. Which brings us back to the Pentecost story. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn back to Acts chapter 2. And again, just a simple reminder, at least for the next 20 minutes, let's just go with me and say that this is happening in the temple area. Temple is where God's special presence resides. Uh, and in the Bible, one form God's presence takes is fire. And I'm just going to reread the passage Carol read a little bit ago. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard his own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? This is a story about God's power coming upon his disciples. But it's also a story of God's presence coming upon the disciples. And if you look at the picture there, again, I'm not sure about the dove, there's a dove at the top middle of the picture, but I want you to see, we often just view this story as individual tongues of fire coming down to disciples. That's not what happened. What happened is you had this form of fire, one form of fire come and separated into individual tongues that then descended upon the disciples. Now, if there is one form of fire in the temple area, what is that? That is the presence of God. And what does it do? It separates and descends upon the believers. So now, where is God's presence? It is with, it is upon, it is in followers of Jesus. It is in, it is upon, it is with his people. And they start to speak in various languages. And the reaction of the people in the crowd, it says they were bewildered and amazed. They were bewildered and amazed. Well, guess what? That's what happens when God shows up. When God shows up in our lives, we are bewildered and amazed. And in this case, God shows up in the form, not in the form of fire, not in the form of a cloud, but in the case, in his people. Followers of Jesus, the presence of God is with them. Now, followers of Jesus, let me be very clear, we are not God, it's not the same thing. But God's presence is with us wherever we go. We bring God's presence with us. God wants to bring his presence into the world. Not as fire on a mountain. Not as smoke in a temple. But through his son, 
through the body of Christ, which is us. 1 Corinthians 3 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 1 Corinthians 12 says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Pentecost is when God moved his presence into his people. And it is a mark of a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, God's presence resides with you. And that started 2,000 years ago and it continues to this day. You know, uh, a few years ago, a mom came up to me and she shared a story that she thought was, was kind of funny. Uh, she was with her three-year-old daughter and they were looking at some pictures and I don't know what picture they were looking at, but I was in one of the pictures they were looking at. And her daughter really only knew me as my role as a pastor. And the little girl pointed to the picture of me and she said to her mom, look, mommy, there's God. <laughs> okay, now I'm not God. I'm just saying that right now. Little girl's wrong, okay? Um, on one level, that's a really cute story. On another level, for that little girl, her experience of God came through me. And now here's the sobering part for me. What kind of experience of God did she have because of me? What kind of experience of God did that little girl have because of me? You see, God's plan is that when people encounter us, they encounter him. And that's a heavy responsibility. What kind of experience of God do others have because of us? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the world through us. And that is a heavy responsibility. It's also a great honor. It's a great honor to represent God's presence. Have you ever considered that someone experiences God through you? Have you ever considered that? What is a higher honor than that? That someone gets to experience God through you. What's better than that? What's a higher honor than that? There isn't one. And what could you receive as a higher praise than someone were to say, you know, you brought God's presence into my life. You were, you are God's blessing to me. What's a better compliment than that? What could you do that would be more worth doing than that? 
Now look, when the Bible talks about us being God's presence, he's ta it talks mainly about us as a community of faith, all of us together. But it's also true as those of us as individuals. You know, I think of summer serve, when God used us last summer to just bless a neighborhood. Or I think through all the people helped through, thing, through ministries like the mustard seed and all the other ministries that we're a part of. Or handing out food boxes during the shutdown. I've watched this community of faith respond to tragedies. I've watched this community of faith be God's presence to the Golay family, to the DeYoung family, and over the years to countless other families. That is what we were made for. That's what we were created for. Pentecost is when God moved his presence into his people. That's us. It's a mark of a follower of Jesus. It started 2,000 years ago, continues to right now. Have you ever considered that? Someone experiences God through you, through us. The Spirit of God is among us. And it just doesn't get any better than that. Please pray with me. And Lord, once again, we just come before you humbled, uh, in awe. Lord, some of us are feeling this heavy responsibility. Others of us are feeling what a great honor and opportunity for your spirit to be with us, to be upon us. For Lord, all the opportunities you have given us to be your presence in the world. And Lord, we would ask that that same spirit would work in our hearts to give us the power that we need to bring your presence, both as individuals, but Lord, also as a community of faith into this world that you so much want to be near. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.